Welcome to Spark, a health and wellness podcast where we teach high achieving superwomen how to put their health and happiness back on the top of the to-do list. I'm Angela Wagner, a yoga studio owner, life and wellness coach, and mama of two. Nicole is off today, but with me is a very special guest. Her name is Celeste Hackett, and she's a world-renowned hypnotist who teaches about hypnosis at a national level. She writes for the Journal of Hypnotism and uses the most modern and advanced level techniques to help her clients. So welcome, Celeste. Well, I feel very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. Okay. So I don't think I've shared with my listeners that I actually was a client of yours last summer. And in my search to get rid of my migraines and my headaches, which is sort of the first part of my journey. And I remember so clearly I was at ET's outside. It was in one of those desperate Google moments where I was like, what else can I try? Right. <laughs> right. And I don't remember why I had even thought of this for headaches. I don't know. Somebody said something or I just came across a search in Google. I think I was like, how to get rid of chronic migraines. Yeah. And I went to Yelp and I found you and every review was like glowing. And I'm like, there's something here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've been very lucky. I have all five stars right now, but you know, anytime that can change. Well, you know, it's so interesting. I really wanted to bring you on because this season in the podcast, we're just doing some deep dives into things that, especially things that maybe women haven't thought about that could help them. And a lot of this alternative natural healing that I've been working with has just been really eye-opening in so many different ways. But I think so many people think of this as like kind of quirky. So I know for me, when I had thought about hypnosis, I had seen like, I'd gone to like the comedy (coughs) version. So tell us about that versus what you do. (laughs) Okay. So when you become a hypnotist, you get to make a decision. Are you going to specialize in entertainment? Are you going to use this magnificent skill to change people's lives? Well, I had already been a, a radio announcer for 24 years. So I already had fun entertaining people and I really wanted to help people. I had always wanted to do that my whole life. And so when I learned about hypnosis, I just thought, wow, this could be really be applicable to a lot of people for a lot of things. So that's really the difference. Um, You're either entertaining people and you're showing the hypnotic phenomena on stage and you can come up with different skits. Or for a female, you can make a lot of money doing that because there's not very many females up there on stage doing hypnotic work. But then the other thing is the office hypnotist. And that's what I am. And I just help people with just all kinds of stuff. You wouldn't believe the things that show up in my office the different kinds of issues. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about how you got started in this. Cause you, how'd you go from radio to this? <laughs> I know I'm one of these people that never went to college. When I was in the first grade, I got shamed for cheating on a math test. And um, I went home and cried to my mother and, and it does go back this far. And she said, girls in our family aren't smart with math, with numbers. And so I thought, oh, no, I'm dumb, you know. And that set me up for this lifelong belief that there was something wrong with me from a standpoint of doing schoolwork. And so I fell into radio broadcasting in my hometown of uh, Alexandria, Louisiana, because you didn't have to have a degree back then to get into radio. And it sounded like a fun job and they were looking for females. This was back when the equal opportunity employers were bringing more women into all different kinds of things. I'm 57. And this was uh, about 1979. And since I did really well at that, just talking to people and playing music, I was able to grow a career without college. And then when radio started going away because of the internet, there were the handwriting was on the wall. I started thinking I need to do something else. 
And long before I was a radio announcer, I had wanted to be a nun, believe it or not, because I grew up Catholic. But really what that meant to me is I would be more like Mother Teresa. To me, she was like the nun, you know, that did good work for people. And that's what I thought a nun was. So there was this part of me that always wanted to help people, but I was not, I was not fulfilled in that way in radio broadcasting very often. Sometimes we would do charity work, but it wasn't the same. So when my, I got fired finally, first time ever, and that's pretty amazing in itself for radio announcers. But after 24 years, I got fired. And right then I thought, you know what? I'm so burned out and I want to do something that's meaningful. So I started looking around, but I still didn't really believe in myself as far as academics go. And so I had to find something easy to learn to do or something that I thought would be easy. And with most hypnosis training, the classes are very short. The training, if it's good, will be very intense and you'll need a mentor, but you get most of your real training on the job. So my class, my first class was one weekend out of every month for a year and it was a real basic class, just kind of taught you a little bit of everything, but I couldn't build a business from it because it was just too broad and not focused enough. And there wasn't any sort of steps, you know, it's just, here's everything about hypnosis. We know good luck with that is the way it felt to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then I found the method I use now, which is very methodical, criteria-based. A psychologist came up with it. He used his psychology training and also some things that he got from his meditation work. He was deep into meditation back when he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. And he paired that with his training in hypnosis. And he made this system called Five Path. It stands for Five Phase Advanced transformational hypnosis. And so that's what I do now. And that's what I love. And it's really, really cool. And yeah. it's always fun to know how people got to where they are, you know, because the path is just never the way you think it is. So I yes, that's so true. And I definitely don't get to have this kind of conversation with you when I'm in the chair. But okay, so let's start with debunking some myths. Because I mean, I'm sure that I'm not alone when I came in and I was like, I don't know that I believe this is a thing. And I, I'm pretty sure, did you say to me, like, you don't have to even believe that this is probably, yeah. I mean, I think most people would be insane to believe in hypnosis after they've seen Hollywood use it the way they do. <laughs> Who would believe that? You know, I, I probably said, if, you, if someone says to me, I don't believe in that or I'm skeptical, I'll usually say, well, then you're really smart <laughs> because what do you know about hypnosis? And they'll mention stage. And they'll also mention Hollywood movies and stuff like that. It's just in everybody's subconscious. This is what people think of hypnosis is the twirly eyes, the swinging watch, and you go do something you never thought you'd ever do because somebody told you to. And they don't remember it either. It's just not like that at all. <laughs> well, that was the thing that was so interesting because you said like you're in total control. You're going to be able to make choices. You're going to be talking to me the whole time and you will remember all of it. And I mm -hmm. was like, well, that's interesting. And then I remember like, Pretty recently, I saw it was one of the shows that I watch on um, Working Moms or something, and they they did this whole episode on this woman who was a therapist and her ex husband who was a hypnotist, and he was taking advantage of all these women. And it like the whole thing of what they were saying like made hypnotism look awful. And I was like, that's not even possible. I don't think. Well, you know, there are unscrupulous people in every profession, and there are some unscrupulous hypnotists. 
there have been some cases of people taking advantage of their clients, but you know as well as I do that you're very aware. So if you go into a hypnosis session believing that you're, you don't have any control and the hypnotist has control over you and you don't know any better, then that hypnotist will have a better able to take advantage of you. Because your eyes are closed, right? Your eyes are closed and you're lying down and you're, there's usually going to be some suggestions of relaxation. Well, that's certainly not an alert state where you would be doing kung fu on somebody if they tried to lay a hand on you, you know? It's sure. more of a dreamy state and people can be fooled when they're not in a hypnotic state. So there are some people that probably and certainly, certainly have fooled clients. You know, it's like anything else. Everything in this world can be used for good or evil. So you want to be careful who you pick to do your hypnosis sessions. And then once you pick them and, you know, you see that they have a, you know, they're sort of time tested. You, know, you can see me on Yelp. You can see me on Google. You can Google my name. I'm everywhere. Then you can feel comfortable and then just follow along with the suggestions given and you'll probably get all the changes you want. Oh, that's so interesting because there was not one time where I felt like I wasn't completely there with you, you know, like I never right. felt like I was sleepy right. or not there or not remembering anything like at all. You know, I was yes. actually there like, is, some... is she doing it? I was like, is this working? Is what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would prefer that actually. I would prefer people to think, I don't think I'm hypnotized because I like people knowing that they're totally in control. Have you ever known somebody who's just so so gullible or suggestible, you can say things to them and they just believe them? If you've ever oh, known anybody sure. like that, I can get those kinds of clients. And I'd rather not, I'd, so I, I tell everybody from the beginning, those kinds of clients, they're very suggestible. So if I say you're in control, then they are. Just, but you already knew that. Usually when you reach a certain age, you've seen enough of life to be skeptical and that's healthy. You know, mm -hmm. so a good hypnotist will work with the skeptical clients using their own language, making it totally okay to be skeptical. And all that means is uh, the skeptical client is just a client that is determined to keep control of themselves. And that's good because if you relax too much in any way, even with people that, well, perhaps even with people that you trust, you know, sometimes you don't want to relax around uh, your husband if you're fighting with them or the kids if they really need to be disciplined. People will take advantage of you even in your own family. <laughs> so you always want to be in control and ready to, to have your say. So tell me why if I go to see a comedy show and they always make some guy like cluck like a chicken every time you say like, bird or whatever and it works so how does that work but like well i mean obviously you're not going to do that with me in the chair but i guess you could i don't know mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well you're not the type of client that would be capable of accepting those suggestions and taking them on there's certain types of clients like that suggestible person we were talking about the suggestible and gullible are two different things really like some people were just they are just have this talent of just being able to put everything else aside and just taking a suggestion and, and just believing it and make it as if it's so true. And those kinds of clients are the ones that stage hypnotists want to participate in their stage shows. And so that's why they'll have a whole lot of people on stage and then they'll kind of do an induction and a deepening and try out a few little things and then they pick out the ones that really are hypnotized or at least they're entertaining because primarily a stage hypnotist is an entertainer so even if you're not hypnotized but you're actually pretty entertaining they'll keep you up there and then they'll send away the rest and they'll say hypnosis isn't for you which isn't actually true the hypnosis on the stage really isn't for them or really what they should say is you're going to mess up my show get the hell off the stage <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's more accurate. <laughs> is it, are you more suggestible if you're drunk, I'm assuming? Because it seems like they always pull up drunk people. Well, see, that is, that is a very good point. People who are drunk and a stage show typically want to have a good time. So there's some incentive for accepting the suggestions. The more incentive you have, the more you'll be able to. There are other people, and this is what's really fun, there are people who never let down their hair, right? Like they, they're like mm-hmm. really tense. And so sometimes those people will be really great stage subjects because they're just looking for a way to do that and to be able to say, I didn't know I was doing that later. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm not a stage hypnotist and probably these questions would be better answered by a stage hypnotist. <laughs> yeah, no, I just like comparing them because I feel like a lot of people, that's their yeah. only exposure. So I love it. Right. Just, I get the questions. I get those all the time. So I don't mind answering them, but I, sometimes I feel like I'm not doing it as well as they would do. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, it's, still, yeah. it's fun. It's yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell me about like what I would call real hypnotism or, you know, like health hypnotism that you do. How does it work and why does it work? Okay. So it works because of a level of the mind called the subconscious. And in in the subconscious is beliefs. And a lot of these beliefs cause problems. And a lot of them are really good to have. But also in the subconscious is habits and memories and these kinds of things. Now, this material is solidified in the subconscious mind and it makes up our personality. It's accessible through another level of the mind called the critical factor. In fact, it's the only way to access that information is to bypass that critical factor so that you can either enhance parts of the personality that maybe aren't fully developed that somebody wants to develop, or you can neutralize emotion attached to things. And you can also add in things. You just can't take anything away. You can make something old that's affecting them negatively not work anymore. You can neutralize it or you can add something new in. And the way to get in there is to bypass the critical factor. So that's how it works through a thing called a hypnotic induction, which is very simple. It's so simple for someone to go into hypnosis. And there are many levels to hypnotic depth. And you've got to get the right one. And the best one is somnambulism. And so, but it's still very simple to get that depth. You get someone in that depth, then you can bypass the critical factor and you can have access to that information. It doesn't mean that the person isn't conscious anymore. If, you, if someone is particularly analytical, they'll still be analytical in hypnosis. They'll be watching everything that's going on and sometimes kind of surprised what they know, sometimes kind of surprised the ideas that come to mind. So that's how it works. You bypass the critical factor and through usually talking back and forth, the subconscious will bring up information that the person doesn't consciously know or isn't very often aware of. Sometimes they are, but it's just, they don't know what to do with it. And so the information comes up like an idea would into consciousness. Then they can tell the hypnotist about it. And then the hypnotist will have had some experience. So they will know whether that's affecting them in the way that they don't want to be affected or not. So then they just look at that information in a different way. And then the outcome changes after the person leaves. So I guess that's the best way to say it. And so that's kind of how it works. Why it works is simply because our minds are made that way. Got it. Okay. And you go through the same, because I think I did five sessions and then we added on a sixth because I was a hard case, which is always the case with me. (laughs) (laughs) But is that you always kind of do that with all clients who go through the same kind of steps? Mostly it's five sessions and four phases. And any one of the phases can take longer than one session. Six sessions really isn't that bad. I've done 14 and 21 sessions a couple of times. Sometimes people just need more time. So yours was pretty right on. So the first phase is just getting someone into that somnambulistic state. 
and working with them a little bit with something called direct suggestion and then letting them test it out. And also before we even do the hypnosis, we're doing some preparation, we're building rapport, we're setting goals. And so the first session is going to be gentle. It's going to be just me talking to them and them soaking it up. Then they go out and I'll usually do something so that they can kind of get a taste of how the hypnotic suggestions can work for them. I don't know if I did this for you, but I will often do an emotional holiday so that people just feel better. The subconscious will keep things that are bothering them from the past in the past so that they can just have a bit of a holiday for about a week, which is just a breather for them. And it's, it can be quite significant for some people or kind of mediocre and sometimes it doesn't work, but that's okay because we're just, I'm kind of learning about them. I'm doing a technique and then their life is their testing ground. And then the client will come back and tell me whether they're better, or worse, or the same. So every other session, sessions usually two through five, those sessions we're talking back and forth and the client is getting aha moments or ideas or information just coming to light as I pose questions to them. Then we look at that material in a different way. It's, these techniques are more like insight generating techniques that will have a profound effect on people most of the time. And then every time what we're going to do something in the hypnosis chair, because clients sit in a recliner. And then their life is their testing ground. And the whole goal of working with each client in that session is to get them feeling better before they leave so that they hopefully will have a great week. And they usually do. Sometimes things get stirred up. They get a little worse before they get better. But usually that's not the case. Usually people get better and better with each session. Okay. So what do people come to you for? I came to you for headaches. Is that common? Pain is one thing that people come for, like fibromyalgia, just achiness mostly and headaches are, are not uncommon. Weird headaches come up sometimes. People will come in for that. Any kind of pain that the doctor has told you, it's all in your head. Hypnotists will see people for that. But mostly, other than that, we do work on the emotional component of any sort of illness. I, I don't work on illness per se, but almost every illness has some sort of an emotional component to it that's making it uh, have a life of its own or keeping it going or making it worse or sometimes the illness just causes somebody to feel really depressed. And so we, we can work on that and just lighten them up while they get through a particular period of illness that they're going through, for example. So illness and headaches, we work on underlying causes. We don't work on those things because we're not medical professionals or mental health professionals. And we really have to be careful with our language so that we're not sued for practicing medicine or psychology or therapy without a license, all right? Now, the other thing that we work on is, well, the way I put it is anything you don't want to feel or you do want to feel, anything you don't, you can't get yourself to do or you can't stop doing, anything that you can't think about or you can't stop thinking about, anything that is just making you, well, that's basically it, too emotional, feelings you don't want to feel or maybe you want to feel something and you don't. I mean, I've had people literally come in to see me because they feel like a zombie. You know, they don't have any feelings. They shut down. I mean, you name it. And like so many great healing practitioners that are out there, I mean, you talk to chiropractors, they got a list as long as their arm of all the things they work on, right? Well, hypnotists are about the same way. We just go at it from a different angle. And there's a lot of practitioners like that. I think there's more and more fabulous healing practitioners out there. So people have more and more to choose from, right? But pick something and I'll tell you if I've worked on it before. Well, Let's play a game. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, two that I saw a lot, I don't know if it was in your reviews or just in Google or whatever, were quitting smoking and losing weight. Oh, yes. A lot of that. That's probably the number one things that the average hypnotist work on. Now, weight loss is the most tricky, but it's so fascinating because 
when you get those results, especially nowadays in the South, the amount of people who are overweight is just incredible. And so to help people, because so many people are trying to lose weight and they're starting and stopping with diets and the thing that causes weight problems, it's not simplistic. So there's um, the habitual part of weight. There's the emotional part of weight. And then there's old ideas that got stuck that are still affecting people. And they're, they're not aware of them anymore. For instance, I got pretty overweight one time. And when I Googled myself, is what I call it, right? I go in my subconscious <laughs> and I'm Googling myself. When I Googled myself, a memory came of my father saying to me, you know how parents will try to get their kids to eat? My dad said, oh, baby, your poor mother, eat the food. Look at her. She's cooking over a flame. We lived in central Louisiana. There was no air conditioning, and she cooked all of our meals, and she was sweating and looking absolutely miserable, right? And so I carried that with me my whole life. If somebody wanted me to eat, I couldn't turn down the food. Oh. You know, I felt so out of control around anybody we ate with. And in Louisiana, where I'm from, it's, it's, it's a, one of the biggest food states in the nation, all the Cajun food and all that stuff. And New Orleans is down there with all the fabulous restaurants down there. And so my dad was Cajun and he was really into cooking and they were all into how great food is. And so if we overate, my parents would say, oh, good for you. You come by it naturally. That's what we do in our family. And that kind of stuff gets stuck and you don't really think it's affecting you, but it does. And so finding these things that are unique to each individual that's causing them to overeat is so fun and so interesting. I love working with weight loss. Stop smoking, I like working with, I prefer weight loss. Hey guys, Angela here. I have a really exciting announcement to share with you. My 200 hour online yoga teacher training is starting January of 2020. Now, I know what you might be thinking, how could I possibly learn how to teach yoga online? I thought the same thing initially, but I've been training teachers for over 15 years in my Dallas yoga studio. And what I've noticed over the past few years is that everyone has become chronically busy to the point of where they can't make the schedule that we create for the in-person training. I couldn't even make it as a mom getting down to my studio seven weekends in a row and every Tuesday night. And there's so many yogis that have this desire to either just deepen their practice, the understanding of the flow, do personal development, get more confidence, or of course, wanting to teach the practice and they just couldn't do it. So what makes this program so great is the obvious part is that there's a 24 seven accessibility to the material and the content. But then we also do weekly live calls because I find that to be incredibly important to your success. We'll go over the exercises together. We'll journal together. We'll meditate together. We'll practice teach together. We'll do all of the things that we do in trainings together. And you'll meet people from all over the world, which is very cool. You can do it from anywhere. So if you travel, if you're on vacation, if you get relocated, it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your training and your ability to get your certificate. Everything we do is recorded, including the live calls. So it's really a win-win for everyone. So I invite you, if you're just curious, go to my website, AngelaWagner.com, click on yoga. I just rebuilt the page with tons of information, testimonials, frequently asked questions, pricings, the $400 discount that you'll get if you sign up before the 15th of December. And if you're still not quite sure and you want to chat with me personally, we can set up a 20-minute clarity call. That's also on the website. You can book it straight there, get on my calendar, and we can just chat together and see if it would be a fit for you. So I hope you'll join us. So is it something like where once you identify what that is, how does the hypnosis get rid of that belief? Okay. So like a belief like mine? Yeah. Is simply going back to when the belief was planted 
and then saying, let's look at this a different way. And you're talking whenever you do this, I'm getting real technical now. Okay. As a hypnotist. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. There's a great trainer here, by the way, so you could learn how to do this for real. I'm just going to give you the gist. Don't tempt me because I take every class out there on all of the things. I like to know about all the things. Oh, you would (laughs) love, you would love his training. He's my trainer and he's fabulous. And he, and he, I moved, I moved him here. I always say I moved him here from LA because I had a state licensed school and I got tired of teaching and I knew he wanted out of California. And I said, why don't you come here? And he really wanted to come here and him and his wife. And so now he's got this fabulous school in Richardson, Texas. Texas, just right up the road. I don't know. I guess this podcast goes all over the place. So I'm just going to say we're in Texas. And anyway, and so when you work with a client as a hypnotist, when I'm working with a client, there comes a point when I have my client divided kind of in two. And you probably remember this. I have the grown up aspect of my client mm-hmm. and I have the younger aspect of my client, right? And so I'll ask my grown up client to go back in time to the time when this belief came about, because usually they'll say something that makes me realize this is what they believe right? So if they go, oh, I can't tell anybody, no, especially my mother, then I'll, in a hypnotic state, I can say, you just told me that you can't tell anybody, no, even your mother at the count of one, you're at the very first time that came real for you. And then I'll count five, four, three, two, one, be there, tell me what's happening. And then they'll say something like my mother's, you know, they'll tell the story like I told it about my dad and Mm -hmm. I'll ask them how old they were. And there's a little bit more to it, but this is the gist, the gist of it. And then I'll get the gist of it, the story. And then I'll say, okay, at the count of one, let's go before that ever happened. Three, two, one. And then I'll say to the grown-up aspect of my client, what can we tell her so that she doesn't take on that belief? Because that belief is affecting you. Has that, hasn't that affected you? And my grown-up client will say, yes, it's really affected me. We need to tell her that if she takes on that belief, how badly she's going to be affected. Okay. And then you tell her how bad it is. So she doesn't want to take on the belief. And then we'll have her think of things a different way. And we'll, we'll brainstorm the grown up aspect of the client and me will brainstorm what to tell her. And then we'll go back and we'll tell that little one. Okay. Listen, your dad's about to say that your mother is sweating and just having such a hard time. He's going to say, Oh, eat the food for your mother. But look, don't look at it this way. Don't look at it as, Oh, I'm going to hurt my mother and be guilty for life. If I don't eat her food and everybody else's food, when they offer me food, that they're going to be so devastated. Stated. Don't look at it that way. Just don't pay any attention to him. And don't let this be something that affects you the rest of your life. Just decide he's being a father. He wants you to eat and that's okay. But don't take on the attitude or the idea that somehow you're going to hurt somebody's feelings or in some way just be mean to them if you're not eating their food every time they offer it. Hold on to your independence that you can say no to anybody at any time. Now in your environment, sometimes as a child, you cannot say no. In my case, I was brought up in a family where I would have been able to say no. I would not have been harmed by that. So some, so it gets tricky. Like sometimes you have to tell the little one, you have to be safe in your environment. So you'll say what you need to say, but hold a bit of independence so that when you grow up, you're going to do it your way. You know what I mean? And then you just kind yeah. of take them through that event again with the new information and with this new decision that they made before that event so that that event doesn't affect them. So you see them thinking a different way. What's happening now? Now what do you think? Now what do you feel? The whole scene plays out again. And then they should say things like, he can say whatever he wants. I'm not going to let that affect me. And then, then eventually you can also go into the future and test that out before the client gets up and leaves for the day. So that way you can be virtually sure that that will be affecting them in a positive way once they leave the office. So I'll say something like, great, on the count of three, grown up and the little one are one, one, two, three. Now you're one in my chair. Now on the count of three, it's the next time you're with your mother. She's made some pie. Let's see how you handle it. (laughs) 
one, two, three. She brings out the pie. What do you do? Mom, I'm sorry. I'm on a diet. I'm not eating it. How do you feel? I feel good. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and then I'll usually say that or something better subconscious is the blueprint for you to help her follow in the future. And then I'll say to my grown-up aspect of my client or to my client, if that's okay with you, nod your head. And they do. And then they go test it out. And then the next week I hear as to whether that worked or not and almost always does. And that's the agreement part you were talking about, or the suggestion, right? You take the suggestion on. They make a new decision. You could say, you could call it taking on a suggestion, or you could say it's an idea that's gone subconscious, so they're reworking the idea. So mm-hmm. reworking the idea, it's just, it's just yeah. whatever you want to call it. Basically, some words, they accept it as true, and then it went on to unconsciously affect them, and they don't know why they can't say no. That's just one thing that can cause weight problem, an idea like that. Now, emotions are another thing. Emotions are gigantic for weight. And so neutralizing emotions is something that I do regularly with clients. And I have to neutralize the emotion that's causing them to overeat. Loneliness is a really big one for evening eating, you know, for some reason. But it's not the only thing that causes evening eating. I'm working with a man right now who has, he's a lawyer and he goes through his day and he's stressed out. As soon as he walks in, he goes right to the refrigerator. He stands up and he eats everything that his wife made on the stove and he doesn't even Mm -hmm. sit down. And it's totally just unconscious. And what we discovered was he's so mad, you know, lawyers are all about justice. (laughs) So he comes home, he comes home and he's been dealing with a bunch of jerks all day long. And then he's like trying not to bite his kid's head off. And so he's just trying to distract himself while he calms down so that he's a good dad. And so now we learned that, we uncovered that. So now we're going to neutralize the anger coming up probably in the fourth session. And it's going to make a huge difference. And it's really fun to see people change. Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. We do a lot of this work in my yoga teacher trainings, but it's different. It's similar, but different, of course. But I think it's so powerful when you're in that hypnotic state, right? Because you're like, like you said, you're beyond that critical factor. So I'm sure a lot of people listening, it probably sounds crazy. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that I said, you know, my mom said that thing, but I still eat. But I think, I mean, there's a huge difference between just being aware of it in your conscious mind and working on it in your subconscious mind. Big, 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 big difference. Yeah, we always think we know. We always think we know the cause of things. And my clients come in, they go, I know just when this started. And I, and I, I know listen everything. Kind, That's yes, I was. <laughs> right. Everybody does that. You're not the only one. I d- even did this recently. I did this recently on a problem I was having because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. You're used to working with that conscious mind and we're all sort of proud of it because we're smart, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't know near as much as the subconscious. It's well, yeah, It's interesting. Some of the stuff that came up, which I, I won't say it's too personal and affects too many people that might listen to this, but I was shocked by some of the things that affected me that I really totally did not because I had intellectualize them. Like I know why they happened or why someone said something and it was, it's fine in the adult world because it is fine, but like it did affect me throughout my life. And so it's just really interesting to uncover those things. And even as adults, I mean, you uncovered this thing with that I had with a friend and I was like, it was just really fascinating. <laughs> it is fascinating. It's, it's, it's kind of feels weird when you're sitting there in the chair and consciously you're not gone. You're there. You're yourself. Like the part of you that you believe to be yourself is the conscious mind, right? So you think, oh, I was totally weird when that came up. 
that's just, just irrational. That doesn't make any sense. But then when we, we just give it a little due respect, and I usually, clients will sometimes say to me in the chair, this can't be it, this can't be it, this doesn't make any sense. And I'll say, oh, I know. Well, let's just act as if it's real and we find out that <laughs> things turn out, that it does help change. Maybe the subconscious is just giving you a story. That's fine. And so if I can calm a client down, because sometimes they get really kind of like, wow, that's just too weird. This, and it doesn't have to be anything big. You know, they stub their toe. I had one guy who stubbed his toe when he was two and saw his blood and it made him nervous. Two years old. I never saw blood before. Somehow it made him nervous. Probably because his mother was going, ah, blah. That's usually what makes a little kid nervous. It's not so much them falling down or they're stubbing their toes. So moms mm. who are listening, you want to stay calm because that's what really makes the problem. So then he went on to have anxiety. And he was upset because he's like, you mean it all started when I was two and I stubbed my toe. I'm like, sir, I am sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. At least we know. <laughs> but when we fixed it, he was better. Because you know why? The two-year-old inside was still hurting. That little boy. That little boy had never really resolved that. We all have this little kid inside. We're just little kids grown tall. We look all grown up and wise and strong and tough, but we're all just mush inside. We should just be honest. You know, we try to be so tough all the time, but none of us really are that tough. Well, yeah. speaking to that whole, like, you know, being a parent, I remember going through this and thinking, oh man, I'm really going to mess up my kids now. Like, <laughs> like, you like it's like being like totally aware <laughs> of like all the things that yes. it's not like you do things intentionally. And sometimes it's not even about what the parent, it's just like the way the kid responds or the way you can't necessarily place blame. It's just life. Yeah. I mean, you're doing the best you can. Usually after the second and third session, when we're at, when we are uncovering root causes of things, which normally goes into childhood. And so most people have had the experience of a parent yelling at them or parents fighting or maybe being left in a crib crying or just any of the things that can happen. Sometimes it's very horrendous stuff. It can be molestation and child rape and beatings and stuff. And I've, I've dealt with all of this routinely. But most people have at least had, you know, an impatient dad or an impatient mom or maybe a critical mother or something like that. And those things, once they're dealt with, and we deal with them really fast, it's as painless as possible. People usually are better after. But once those things are just dealt with, man, people just get so, so much better. But I will say that usually about that time, people are starting to realize what they're doing to their own kids. <laughs> they start getting really concerned, like you're saying. It's like, oh my God, I can see now what my parents did to me. I'm probably doing the same thing to my kids. And so they will often express a concern about that. So what I usually tell parents is they chose you, if they're metaphysical, I can tell them this, they chose you for their initial sensitizing event. If you believe in multiple lives, right? Past life, multiple life, if you believe in that, then this works for these parents. Because it means that they had to have a beginning to their problem that they were trying to get over in a past life. And they knew that you would help them bring that forward so that they could heal it. And there's just no way you can be perfect. If you really watch yourself, it's the most amazing thing. If you really start standing aside and watching yourself, you know, you want to be this great parents and then this crap comes out of your mouth, you know, <laughs> you know, it's wrong, but I'm why, why right did here. this come out of your mouth or, or, or look like I'm busy. <laughs> 
(laughs) And it's not that you ever, ever want to be that way. There's something else running the show sometimes, I think. So I think that, yes, I really do think so. Like a a higher part of ourselves that we're all putting this together in this mishmash doesn't mean that there's an excuse to like beat your kids and not be good to them. Your your kids are going to teach you as much as you're going to teach them how to be a better person and they'll motivate you through guilt to be a better person, you know? But eventually what it comes down to is your kids have their own responsibility, just like you have to forgive your parents, they have to forgive you. And you are actually doing them a gigantic favor by being somebody that they have to forgive. Like what I tell people a lot of times when they're trying to forgive someone and they've had these horrendous parents, I say, well, do you want to be the best person you can be? I may have done this with you. And of course, everybody wants to be the best person they can be. That's why they come to me, right? Like they want to be a better person. They want to, yeah, I want to be their problems, <laughs> right? Exactly. No one's going to ever say that. Then I say to them after I get that, then I say, well, who is the best person you've ever known? So they pick somebody, right? And I say, is this also, okay, this is the best person you know. Is this also the most loving person that you know? Now, and then of course they say, yes, yes, they're so loving, right? But, you know, to them, they think this, okay? So whoever they think. And so I'm like, okay, if this is the best person that you know, well, they couldn't be the best person without being the most loving person, could they? This is the question that I pose, right? And then they go, no, they really couldn't be. Because who could be the best person if they weren't the most loving person? It wouldn't compute, right? Okay. So then I say, well, is this person also the most forgiving person that you know? And they usually, if they've picked a person that is loving, that person has to be the most forgiving person that they know. And if not, then you have to help them come up with somebody else. But they're going to say yes, because you can't be the most loving without being the most forgiving. And so then when they say that, I'll say, well, how do you get to be the most forgiving person? How do you think they got to be the most forgiving person, the most forgiving person? How do you do that? How do you get to be that? And remember, they're sitting there looking at this offender, this person that was horrific to them, as I'm trying to help them forgive that person. So I'm asking them to find the most forgiving, most loving person, right? The best person that they know. Then I say, well, how do you think they got to be that way? And then they think, well, they're just really good. They'll say something like that. And I'll say, no, you can't be the most forgiving person if you don't have the biggest in the world to forgive. (laughs) Well, true. Well, in a hypnotic state, they're very suggestible. It takes on a greater meaning. Because if you really think about it, big forgiveness will take a big offender. If you have a little offender, you're not going to be that much better of a person. You're going to be average. If you want to be spectacularly good, then you use that person. And then you're grateful to them because no one's helped you like them to be a better person. They don't have to know about it. So then you start, if my clients will really, usually they'll laugh because they'll realize the truth in it. You know, this is how you get to be catapulted to sainthood. Do you want to be the best person really? You're so funny. Yeah. Okay. So we have to wrap. So most of the people that listen to this podcast, the majority of our audience are women who are most of them work full time. A lot of them have families. They're just sort of in that doing it all. Yes. Perfectionists. Yes. Perfectionists, high stress, high achieving, high High anxiety. Yes. It all goes hand in hand. Plus, believe it or not, procrastination is usually in there too at some level. And you, and you fix all the things. Yeah, we fix it. <laughs> we we fix it together, it. me and the client. We fix it together. It's so fun. do you do any, is it all in person or is it remote? Um, do I have done Skype and Zoom and just telephone and FaceTime and all that stuff. 
I prefer one-on-one sessions, but if you were pretty soft-hearted, so if they think, oh, Celeste, you're the only one to help me, no one else will help me, then I probably would go, okay. Yeah. But the problem is sometimes the technology is crappy. We, you and I had problems when we first tried to do this and that's just frustrating, you know? Yeah. If someone's going to look for a therapist and they're not in Dallas, what would you suggest? What are some of the things that they should be looking for? Mm, that's a really good question. First of all, you want to find somebody who's a five pather in my opinion, because I know how they're trained and they're trained really well. Then you want to find somebody when you Google them that you can see that they've been around for a while because you could get the training, but if you don't have the experience of seeing a lot of clients, it does take, I would say, anywhere from maybe a hundred sessions before you start really getting pretty darn good at this stuff. Yeah. And then the other thing would just be, you know, you call them on the phone and if you like them and that kind of stuff, you can still get somebody bad but they're not going to be that bad if you follow those instructions. So you've got to like them. They have to have been doing this for a while. You Google them and you find that they've been around, you know, everything's pretty good about them. The reviews are good. And then you have to go see them. It's always a risk to go see somebody you don't know, you know, to help you with something. Unfortunately, a doctor, you know, whoever it is, chiropractor, first time you go, you hope this is the one. And that's oh, man. still so unfortunately. Your neck. <laughs> I know, I know. And acupuncture, whatever you're doing, yoga instructor, some are good, some aren't. And sometimes you can't tell until you go. And so the unfortunate thing about doing five paths with somebody is like, you may not really know how good they are until you're completely done with all the phases because your problem may not be fixable in the first or second session. But you will know in the first session whether you like the person or not and whether you have rapport with them. So you've got to be committed to see it all the way, all the way through because if your problem is actually anger at the self or self-sabotage, if that's the, the majority of the cause of your problem, or even all of the cause of your problem. I had a lady in here just yesterday. She did not get better at all. I thank God she stuck with it because the big thing for her was anger at others and it was totally hidden from her. I started getting an inkling about it because I'm used to it, but I had to talk her into coming in for that, that anger session and she was not really sold on it because I hadn't helped her yet. So that can yeah, happen. Yeah. yeah. That That's how really I was because a lot of my stuff was the four yes. and five. And so, yes. Which and wasn't so, shocking. I'm Italian. So we knew that there was some anger right. in there. <laughs> Right, right. Well, some people are totally not in aware at all of their anger and they put it away because it's unsafe in their environment when they were younger to show it at all. So they put it completely away and they're completely oblivious, but it's in there and she's, she's one of those. So well, what I thought was interesting was the anger is, I love that little book you gave us about the feelings and it said something like that anger, fear is just a mask for anger. Mm. And I yeah, was well, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that well, what it was? Like, well, I don't know if it says that in there. It, it talks about how to resolve feelings in a one, two, three method. Name the feeling, name the cause of it to a satisfying response. Feelings are resolvable, actually. But then there's another component of the feelings, which are subconscious. And that's where the hypnotist needs to go in and neutralize that. Because when you're having a feeling, an everyday feeling that people are going to have, and the feeling is like too big, like it's, you're, you're too angry over something small, for example, then what's happening is you're having a normal amount of feeling, but then the past is coming up and resonating with it. So that, mm -hmm. that booklet is all about how to deal with feelings in the now as best as you can, but it doesn't take care of the stuff in the past. Anger is, comes from the perception of something unfair has happened to me or someone or something that I care about. But it's not uncommon for people to have fear first, and that's what I think you're talking about. For it. And this is one way you can look at it. Let's say you're driving along, somebody pulls out in front of you, and you get pissed off at them. You get really angry. Well, if you really were to rewind that scene, you would see that first they frightened you, and then you got mad at them for making you afraid because you thought that wasn't fair. And so that's how anger and fear go hand in hand like that. 
Yes. Oh, and that was huge for me too, because one of the lies that I uncovered way back in my yoga training was that I grew up with this feeling of it's not fair and to nobody's fault but my own, but that's like (laughs) what I took about the world. And I still, to this day, that comes up for me all the time is that things aren't fair. And so when I saw that that was related to anger, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it was huge for me. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway. I love this stuff. We could talk forever. <laughs> yes. Can I put in a plug for my trainer that I was telling you about? Because I, I would love people, for you to. Yeah, his name is Calvin Banyan, and you can go to hypnosis.org and get his training. He, he trains about four big classes a year here in the Dallas area, and I go talk to the class almost every time he has class. He's got one going right now, so I'm going to go talk to that class. And if you ever wanted to really learn real hypnosis that really works, that's amazing doing the kind of hypnosis that I'm talking about, because there are other kinds. I don't think, I don't think any of them are as good as this. I've seen almost all of them. Then you want to see him and take his training right here in the Dallas area, calvinbanyanhypnosis.org, and I'll see you in class. Yes, I'll put that in the show notes, but then tell our listeners how they can find you if anybody's in Dallas. Oh, absolutely. Yes, my business is Family First Hypnosis. So first is spelled out, F-I-R-S-T, Family First Hypnosis. And my phone number is 972-673-0110. And if you tell me that you heard about me on this program, I'll give you a discount. Yes. Yes. I will give you a discount. I'll give you probably a hundred dollars off. Spark discount. Spark discount. hundred dollars off. I love that. You guys really need to go see her. I'm telling you, it was, it was really life-changing for me and I've done a lot. (laughs) Not everything is life-changing. This was one of them though. Yes. Oh, Celeste, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you listeners for being here. And if you have a few extra minutes, please do an act of kindness and leave us a review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends. It really helps us out to spread the word. And you can find the show notes and all the information, all the links, the resources that we discussed at AngelaWagner.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Angela Wagner. Remember this week to take the time to give thanks, raise a glass and discover what it is that sparks you. Yay! Bye!